Roland's Rabble, Friday, October 28th, 2005. I'm Roland Tseng Lao. This is my new program about Web 2.0 and related stuff from Vancouver. And our regulars are Susie Gardner, Susanna Gardner, famous author and web designer. Susie, say hi. Hey. She can be found at hopstudios.com. We have a uh, fellow, or not fellow, bright partner in crime reseller, Will Pate, chief blogging officer and marketing director of Rain City Studios. Hi, Will. Hey, you. And Michael Tippett of Now Public and many other cool ventures. Hi, Michael. Good afternoon. And uh, <laughs> we have set a little shrine aside for um, Alex Samuel. Because she was supposed to be here, but she didn't quite make it because of some of what's it called? Something signal, socialsignal.com recently launched consultancy, uh, and also a bright reseller. Uh, she, for some reason, childcare, crazy meetings, she didn't manage to make it. So, guys and gal, what do you want to talk about? I was thinking about BitTorrent for dummies. I think that's a great topic. We should definitely talk about that. Is it a new book about that? <laughs> that just came out uh, two weeks ago, and Susie co-authored it, as well as Chris Krug, another bright guy. So tell us about the book, Susie. Well, as you said, it came out about two weeks ago. It's sort of 10 days old, and yeah. uh, sort of just arrived in our hands. You don't get advanced copies as an author, unfortunately, so it's as new to me as everyone else. And it's uh, about 330 pages of all you ever needed to know about BitTorrent and then some other stuff as well because, you know, possibly would want to produce some content, say, like audio. <laughs> so I could be Joe Smith or Jane Samuel, say Alex's brother or sister, and, <laughs> and uh, if I know nothing about BitTorrent but I have a, win uh, win uh, a computer, I can start using it. Yeah, uh, the whole dummies concept is to take you from the ground up, so... You do need to be familiar with a computer, but beyond that, it's it's pretty much covering everything to do with BitTorrent. You know, how to get a client or choose a client, install it, configure it, find stuff to download, how to play it once you download it, um, and then how to make s files for distribution with BitTorrent. Does this herald the uh, mainstreaming of BitTorrent? Well, I know the dummies folks would like to think that that's so. Um, certainly, it now accounts for about a third of all Internet traffic. Yeah. Uh, that's largely, of course, because the files that are downloaded are, are so big. But um, it's definitely trending upwards and increasing, and we're seeing a lot more buy-in from businesses as well, which could be the, the thing that really makes it as a technology and puts it into the mainstream. And it would, yeah, and it would be good for a site like Now Public, eh, Mike? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm curious, uh, I guess, I had one, one question. Do they have any good data in terms of what the sort of percentage is of people who, who use it? So out of 100 people on the Internet. I've not seen a study like I that. I think it's like 1 or 2%, I bet. Um, yeah. I think it's probably pretty low. I mean, there's a number of competing technologies, as you know. Mm -hmm. uh, BitTorrent is still pretty tech. You know, you have to be pretty good right. to, to get through it. Uh, there's a lot of jargon in it. So your average consumer who's kind of afraid they're going to break the computer. That would be Will's phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might so not be you? into it, but... Um, as I said, you, you are seeing trending upwards, but I can't give you a percentage. So let's right. let's let's put on our ridiculous analyst hat and fast forward to say like two years from now, or even uh, three or four or five years from now. What my thesis would be that <laughs> BitTorrent would be everywhere, but it would be invisible. How about how does that sound? I like it. Yeah, 
like uh, you want to upload your audio or video, you'll upload your audio or video. You won't even know it's bit torn in the background. You just know that you pay less money or it's almost free or something. Right? The potential danger uh, to BitTorrent really isn't that it won't be adapted because it makes a lot of sense technologically and it probably sure. will be. I think the real danger comes in from competing technologies. So Microsoft's Avalanche, which is very like BitTorrent, is right. being developed. And the BBC is developing another system that, again, is modeled on the same way that BitTorrent works. And so you know, what may or may not happen is, is that BitTorrent's own success early on did, you know, means that there are all these competitors that eventually take its place or take some of that market share. Okay, so it may not be BitTorrent that's successful five years from now, but something like it, like but Avalanche. Concept, or, yeah, yeah. I can't believe the BBC would invent their own standard. What do they think well, this is, the 1970s? Like <laughs> <laughs> they want to uh, make sure that it, they want to limit availability of their programming. Uh, to a certain number of days, and they also oh, want to make right sure right. it's... Um, so what, the, the BitTorrent seed self-destructs, or what? I'm mean, sorry, they're crazy. I don't know crazy. the details, but yeah, I mean, they've clearly got, uh, you know, something where they want to give away con content, but only for a certain amount of time, and they only want to give it away to people who are supposed to have it, so, you know, residents of the UK, etc. So they've got some control issues that oh. obviously aren't built into the... Original. Oh, that, that, let it go, man. <laughs> I... I, I I've been following the blog of Ewan Semple for many years, and he works in BBC Interactive and Multimedia, and I can't believe that he would endorse something that self-destructs like that. that oh, you got to look at it the other limited. way. I mean, at least they're doing it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so many people think of television as something that should just be free or is free, so the fact that the BBC is acknowledging that and making it available in this other format is also, it's pretty commendable, really. Right. It probably has more to do with their contracts with existing media producers. Yeah, they don't own the rights. It's all about rights. I think we need a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need a lawyer on this show. I'm gonna like um, Skype in Michael Geist from yeah. the University of Ottawa or something. At one I of these did points. get a lawyer to help me write the the portions in the book that deal with copyright issues right. and infringement, because of course that is a lot of what BitTorrent gets used for. And uh, I just you know had to put a chapter in there on like you know what'll happen to you if you get caught or how likely is it that you'll get caught and. So this all segues to like Lawrence Lessig, right? And like exactly. real law trumpets code eventually. So we can code all this stuff, but eventually we'll be shut down maybe by lawyers in the real world. I mean, that's the major constraint with any of these technologies is, is the, legal, uh, the legal fights. I mean, in terms of the technological right. limitations, there's really not much. I mean, right now I guess there's a constraint in terms of your upload capability, even if you have broadband. You're not you're not going to be able to upload a whole lot yeah. very fast, but uh, presumably that'll change at some point, especially if there's a demand for it. Have you had to vet your uh, now public? Because um, people upload audio and video, right? To now public, have you had like your stuff yeah. vetted, and you have uh, you know you have a policy and stuff you know, that you have to have? Yeah, our, I mean our our policy is very open ended, so it's uh, basically you come to the site, you sign up, you you and you agree not to do anything illegal, so you can't. You know, <laughs> That's that's the user agreement, and and we then um, treat you with uh, the respect that you deserve, and uh, let you upload whatever you want. And if someone brings Complains. it to our attention that uh, that there's that there's something that, that shouldn't be there, then we'll ask the user to remove it. And uh, if they don't, and it's a clear violation of some kind of law, uh, then we take it down. But we've I've actually been surprised at the lack of uh, abuse. I thought there would be I thought there'd be more abuse, but. I think um, nobody's using BitTorrent. So, so during um, Ka Katerina, um, 
there weren't there wasn't the case of people putting up other people's photos or other people's videos or audio. Not that we're aware of. I mean, I'm okay. there, there may ha- there may have been. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there was photos because people seem to think that if it's on the internet that they can. Yeah. Carte blanche, put it anywhere else. I mean, a lot That's of the true? a lot of the stuff that we were getting. <laughs> Is uh, that true? Yeah. A lot of the stuff we were getting in, with Katrina were uh, missing persons uh, postings. Right. Okay. And so it it introduced a sort of somber tone to the whole site, and it would have been in very very bad taste to then upload, uh, you know, joke joke photographs and that sort of thing. So I think it really depends on kind of what the the, or the tone of the site is that uh, will either encourage or discourage that kind of abuse. Yeah. Do you require Michael on now public when people upload stuff that they you know, use a Creative Commons license or in, in some way authorized distribution I mean, in writing or select the like, license you yeah, yeah yeah we have we, you, you choose you choose one of the Creative Commons licenses okay. when you upload stuff to us yeah. yeah and you have no choice right you can't say public domain or all copyright belongs to me you have to pick one of the Creative Commons that's right that's part. right that's yeah. right yeah. I mean that's one of the troubling things about about BitTorrent as a technology is um, you know copyright by definition controls distribution and What's built into BitTorrent that makes it slightly different from other technologies is this immediate redistribution back into the network. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, people don't even realize that they have to, you know, if they're going to use a technology like this or like now public, that they have to come up with a Creative Commons license that permits redistribution, or else they are, you know, by default making everybody <laughs> who downloads it a, a violator of copyright. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Which, you know, leads back into that discussion, you know, that lesser discussion of should copyright be changed and. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the answer. You don't, Roland? No, I don't. I yes. know, but I. I mean, I could segue smoothly into like uh, on Tuesday here in Vancouver, we had the Vancouver Enterprise Forum, which is full of um, business people and c- venture capitalists of the Vancouver style, um, which may or may not be to your taste. And we had a thing, an event about Web 2.0, and um, I guess my next topic that I want to discuss with you peoples is the backlash against Web 2.0. I mean, what is Web 2.0? I mean, if, if Roll's Rabble is going to be loosely about Roll, Web 2.0, why don't we go around the table and everyone give their uh, definition of Web 2.0, and is there a backlash, is there a value, blah, blah, blah. Will, since you haven't said anything? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Start talking. But that's put my Steve Gilmore hat on and challenge the guests. Busted. Um, I don't know. To me, it's just a collection of technologies and some best practices around it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably like Ross Mayfield says, it probably has more to do with like your approach to technology and it being about people first and technology second right. as opposed to the other way around. So how do you know if something's Web 2.0 or not? That's a good question. It's like trying to define whether something's cool or not. And the two are almost <laughs> the same right now, so it's maybe that much harder. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think it only works in, uh, as well um, uh, as a definition in that it, it helps people spot things that are kind of next generation. Yeah. Um, some of these web 2.0 tools are like, I was looking at some of the, the Google mashups, and I mean, you can call it 2.0, but if you all you do is the same thing that Housing Maps has done with every other real estate listing thing that you can scrape, well, it's not that next generation, it's just somebody else's idea that you're kind of taking and running with. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, um, you know, yeah. it's, it's not as cool just because it uses that technology. It's It's more about the innovative uses of it that interest me. So what would be a Brain City, Brain City, <laughs> Brain City site that would best exemplify Web 2.0 um, for you? Because you have, like, many, many bright sites now. 
Yeah, honestly, I think our best ones are still in development. Mm -hmm. um, we're working on... Uh, the best is yet to come. Yeah, the best is always yet to come. We're working on a, uh, one with a women's magazine, and I'm really excited to see that launch because they really want to uh, engage their community and, and to try and transcend that boundary between um, author and reader and uh, magazine publisher and readership. They want to see, you know, how can they blur that line and uh, what happens when you do that. So. Yeah, I think um, Brightsides and Drupal in general uh, and systems like that that allow RSS aggregation and uh, allow blogging, blah, 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 are Web 2.0 if there's a community that actually uses them that way. If they mm -hmm. use them like a static website without offering any data or dialogue or conversation, then they're not. Because mm -hmm. that's my definition of, of Web 2.0, which I said on, on Tuesday, which is that it's the online platform for multimedia conversations because I've stopped giving technical definitions. Um, so I like that phrase, by the way, multimedia conversations. <laughs> I like <laughs> the idea that you can blog something and I can retort to you in a video post yeah. or a podcast. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Um, I was under the impression that we were actually already in Web 2.5. <laughs> so what's your <laughs> definition there, Mike? And uh, point me to a prime example other than now public, which I think is Web 2.0 because it, you know, it wouldn't be possible without the interactive conversational features of Drupal. Uh, yeah, I think I, I, I would agree with you. I think I think now public is a good example of it. But <laughs> I, um, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, part of it is just it's just marketing. I mean, it's it's the second version of, of the internet, and I think right. people are kind of they had so much fun the first time around. You know, <laughs> I mean, people forget that bubbles can be fun. You know, half <laughs> the bubbles fun, and then the other half is not so fun. Yeah, that's the hangover. So that's drinking's right. great. So, so enjoy enjoy the bubble while you can, and I think people are uh, are. are Hoping that that there's well a yeah. lift a lift in the technology uh, sector and and calling it Web 2.0 sort of means it's kind of like that first thing we had except improved. Are well, you, I it think it's two like ways too. Like it's a t the original vision of the web too is a two-way multimedia conversation thing. I think yeah. that was Tim Berners-Lee. It wasn't just a read or dump. It yeah. was read write. And and we're starting to see I think the what people envision the internet the, the potential of the internet now becoming. And I, I think part of it is that. Uh, it's become easier to produce stuff. Yeah. And so that's changed the whole dynamic in terms of who owns the stuff that's out there and who's consuming it. Right. And I think people have also recognized that, you know, if you give something up, you get a lot back. And if you give up control. People were afraid of that in the beginning. They're sort of like, how am I going to make money out of this? You know, Encyclopedia Britannica was sort of charging people to come to the <laughs> site. And, you know, you, you contrast that with Wikipedia now, and it's just, it's just two different worlds. Right, and uh, it's just the data's there. It, evidence is there that if you give stuff up, you'll get stuff back. Well, and how many users do you have on now public, and what's the average? Well, I mean, give me some metrics on now public, and what's the you know how how many stories or uh, how much footage gets uploaded? Are you thinking of investing? No, I'm thinking um, it's a fantastic thing. I've heard from people who could invest that it's a fantastic thing. So, not that I'm trying to promote Michael to get money, but. Please fund them if you have the money, because it's a great concept. Because it's Web 2.0. It's Web 2.0. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, we have, you know, we have, and it really varies. I mean, it's because we're, we're, for those of you that don't know what now public is, it's basically an open source news site where anyone can send in news stories. So, as a result, or request coverage of stories they can't cover. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And but as a result, it's sort of determined on outside factors. You know, like we we can't really. You know, you can make the news to some extent, but news happens and then it gets reported. So, so if it's August and nothing's happening. Right. And, and you know, whereas with Katrina, 
you know, the, the, the traffic spikes are, are really huge. It's actually kind of interesting. I, wh one of the things we're noticing is that um, I was reading a little bit about the history of, of cable news and how it started to sort of steal market share away from uh, the, the news channels, you know, the, the network news. And what drives it is these major events happen, right? So you have right. the Gulf War, you have these catastrophes. And people move from the network news to cable news because cable news has actually got someone in the hotel room in Baghdad. As the well, yeah, it's more down. real and vivid and, um, and, and they, more out there and, on and the they street. Just, they, ha they have someone down there. They have, they have a you know, man or woman on the street. And I think the same sort of thing is happening with, with uh, citizen journalism or you know, this kind of more interactive news ecology where people are able to blog and things, where the, the, the sheer numerical superiority of us uh, means that conventional media is going to have a really tough time competing. You know, and they can say, well, we've got a Pulitzer Prize winning writer, but, okay, you've got one, and we've got ten. Yeah, and, or a hundred. And we'll and have a hundred, or we'll have a thousand, and we'll have ten thousand. And if 97,999 do crappy stuff and 3,000 produce cool stuff, that's, that's more than one person, right? Right. So I, I think the implications of what we're calling Web 2.0 are, are pretty profound. I think we're starting to see the, the shift in the news business, but I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think you're going to start seeing the way all knowledge is created is going to start being affected. You know, so, you think about universities. Susie, Susie. I'm going to have to differ from you slightly Susie's there. got a journalism wow. background at the University of Southern California for those So, uh, conceptually, I totally agree with you, and when I think about Web 2.0, I think, you know, it's a sort of a philosophical approach, right? Um, but I just got back from Singapore talking to some folks there about blogging. One of the questions I got was, well, what government ministry is in charge of regulating bloggers <coughs> in Singapore? To which, of course, I didn't have an answer and was sort of aghast to think that this was a valid question. But it got me thinking again about the fact that, you know, this approach or this, this idea of democracy and uh, interaction... Is very open, American and... Right. Open communication is very North American and European, yeah. Western European. And so the mm -hmm. ideas behind Web 2.0 are great, and they appeal really strongly to those of us here in North America, you know, who, who are raised with this ideal in mind. And then you get into these countries where, you know, people are arrested for seditious remarks on their blogs or religious, r religiously intolerant remarks on their blogs. Um, and that's in the, in the more westernized countries. I right. mean, so I'm, I've been thinking about Web 2.0 in the light of that trip, and, and which, you know, intellectually, if you'd asked me before, I would have said, of course, yeah, you know, I realize that the government there is different, more controlling, blah, 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 but, you know, you, you're there, and you suddenly start to realize, like, oh, wait, this really is, like, I can't think the same way about, you know, the, the fact that what you want is an open conversation with your customers, because that can get you, you know, can get your company rated there. <laughs> right, but so are you, are you arguing that there's just, there's certain um, environments where Web 2.0 is impossible because of cultural government legal yeah not just environments i mean i think sure. i think half the half the uh, world is probably in that kind of a situation but i think you can make I, it I, harder I, but i don't think you can make it impossible i think the, the genie's out of the bottle you know if someone yeah. is going to take pictures with a digital camera write some blog posts put it all on a cd and mail it to america you know someone can put that up and put it onto the person's name or you know an or mail it to hong kong even you know <laughs> yeah i mean uh, you know globally speaking i mean you're you're absolutely right susie like if you think about things sort of in a global perspective, uh, this is all very academic. I mean, what percentage <laughs> of people even have electricity? Right. 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 In but which uh, to uh, make the you know, I mean, but, but a lot of them have mobile phones and stuff. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. 
Um, so, you know, there is this proliferation of, of technology to some degree, but, uh, and, and there will, I think there are always sort of tyrannical regimes, but I think that they're probably going to have a harder time with this than they would if we all just had printing presses or, you know, we're making flyers or mm -hmm. setting up smoke signals or whatever. I, I, I think it goes back to the enlightenment. I mean, do you believe in rationalism and enlightenment and freedom and all these things? And this is just a logical extension of it, right? Before, we were all serfs and peasants, and we didn't object. <laughs> and now, 400, 500 years later, we can all talk and object, and hopefully that leads to change. Um, and it just doesn't get lost in the ethernets. Well, it's, it would be interesting to ethernets. have someone here from a country like that and ask them what they thought Web 2.0 was. And, mm -hmm. you know, is, is there a version that Maybe we should Skype in one of your of Singapore contacts. Yeah. Is it really an iron hand kind of government? So if you if you uh, <coughs> say something bad about a particular group, they're going to like on your blog. They're going to come and get you. I mean, the other thing too is that the assumption is always that you have these sort of government forces who are trying to prevent speech, and then you have these citizens who want to talk. And uh, if you provide this kind of technology, all of a sudden it makes it cheaper and easier to do so. The conversation is going to favor the citizenry. But, you know, you could also argue that it also becomes easier for governments to uh, put out propaganda. And, I mean, it would, how easy would it be for any government to hire a thousand bloggers and just have them write? Uh, you know, you start, you start seeing this in sort of guerrilla marketing campaigns and that sort of thing. I mean, well, you, you can, one could argue that you could tell because they wouldn't have a sincere voice. Well, one could argue that, <laughs> but, I mean, these are professional propagandists, so well, not they, might, they might actually be able to... <clears throat> Well, and they might actually believe it. So if they believe it, then right. they sound sincere, right? While right. I was uh, while I was over there, so there were some people who were arrested for seditious remarks in Singapore, and I don't think you could argue that that's a tyrannical government by any means, although it's certainly different from ours. Uh, but in Malaysia, at the same time, this was I don't know, end of September, there were a couple of bloggers who turned over the IP address information for some people who left comments on their blogs because they were so offended by, again, these sort of <coughs> remarks that we would call racist, we would call, you know, religious intolerance, but nothing that you would, you know, unless you were blogging about it on your company blog, that you would right. get into trouble for here. Um, so that idea of propaganda, like, you don't even have to hire the, yeah. uh, the bloggers, right? Like, the citizenry is so... Uh, Ingrained the well, social yeah, well, that right. I mean, that's yeah, you. that's yeah. that's really ideally what you want is you, as a, as a tyrannical <laughs> government. People you know, you, you want to brainwash people and have them do your talking. Yeah. Open source brainwashing is that what they call? Web 2.0 to brainwash. Yeah, yeah. brainwash yeah. 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, I I guess it's it, it's back to Roland's point about you know, do you have faith uh, that in an open system where there's uh, the ability to have dialogue that the best ideas will survive and that the lousy ones will will, will get defeated. Yeah, I mean that's that's the argument against one of the arguments against censorship, right? Is it's like a marketplace of ideas, and everyone's free to say what they want, and so you can <laughs> you can say, have your racist views, but someone can say, look, you know, racism's stupid, it's bad, it's under, uh, very illogical, counterproductive, wrong, morally reprehensible, and presumably that argument will win out. Um, you know, we we believe in these things in terms of the way governments are structured and the way marketplaces work. So why not in terms of the way ideas are, uh, yeah. are, are compete against one another. Yeah, and I've, you're right, but again, that's a very Western Enlightenment point of view, and even in Western Europe, uh, it's not necessarily an 100% agree agreement on that. But like I'm, maybe but I'm Western. 
<laughs> so you're loud. Oh, I just got back from Amsterdam. I'm speaking on my own behalf, not for, not for the not for the sake of the world. Yeah, uh, I just got back from Amsterdam wearing the Bar Camp Amsterdam T-shirt. Um, yes. And it's very interesting. We were there, and there are a whole bunch of hackers and people like that, and no one else had a microphone. People had video cameras and digital cameras, but this uh, no one was. I well, this podcasting thing is going to take a little longer to. <laughs> if you if you have like if you had like a hundred people at bar camp and none, nobody else was recording other I mean audio recording other than me that was I thought that was kind of weird but oh well <laughs> yeah I mean I, I think that uh, I mean I, I sort of I've started to call it the gang of fifty thousand <laughs> you know and there's like fifty thousand people who are really kind of controlling uh, what, what people's attention is focused on you know I mean you look at like tech and it used to be five thousand. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think, it used to, I think the number used to be smaller. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely growing. And uh, I was talking to a bunch of students at Emily Carr the other day, and I said, you know, there, there's this great quote that I, I overused. Emily Carr is our local art college and technology thing place. Um, there's this there's this great quote that I've I've used way too many times, but I just think it's so profound. And it's William Gibson. He said, "Yeah, the future's already here. It's unevenly distributed, right? right? And these the gang of fifty thousand, I think, sort of point to the future." And uh, if you kind of watch them or us or wh- whoever, you know, whoever you identify the, that, that group as, I think it does point to where things may go. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think but, people... But it's not, it's not here yet, right? So at Bar Camp, you're, you're the only guy with the mic. <laughs> at Bar Camp Amsterdam. I mean, yeah. at Bar Camp right. Palo Alto, it might have been different. Right. But the, also, the, also, the other thing is that no one was shocked. No one was, like, appalled that I was recording them. Like, so they knew about it. They just weren't doing they it themselves. Which right, is fine. Right. That William Gibson quote is so interesting. Cause my friend sent it to me not too long ago, and I was looking up, because uh, he didn't know who had said it, so I was looking up the, the provenance of it. Vancouverite, uh, by the way. William every Gibson. time, so Gibson is I often I see him all quoted, the time at restaurants. <laughs> Gibson's often quoted as having said that, but the quotes are usually wrong. The quotes usually say the future is... An, is here, it's just unevenly distributed? It's just, uh, it's, it implies basically that it's not yet happened. But, the, you know, the, the word yet is included. So the implication, of course, right. is that eventually the future will be evenly distributed. But, in fact, that's never the way it's going to be. Right, because there's always a new future. Which, of course, sums up what we're trying to say here, yeah. right? which it's is, like, it's always, there always is going to be this imbalance of ideas. And right. it's, it's the same old thing that every social revolution has promised that the 10%, uh, 10% of people at the top of the pyramid would somehow fall off and the rest, the other 90%, would somehow share this enormous wealth that that 10% had had in. No one's ever delivered on that. It's just been this kind of empty promise yeah. that everybody who wants right. to be a part of that 10% will make along the way to get there. Yeah, and I, I yeah, think I'm, not, I'm not arguing necessarily that there's yeah. going to be a massive redistribution of wealth. Or, or power. Or, or, or power, necessarily. <laughs> I just think it's going to be it's a disruptive change, and the people who are in control now will maybe not be in control, but there probably will be some people in control. It, yeah. I think it becomes more of a level playing field. You know, The, yeah. the best team's still going to win. And, and like Susie said, it has, I think it has more to do with uh, attention than actually just getting the info out there. Like mm-hmm. People have been able to put up their thoughts online for so long, but the difference now is it's easier to get people's attention because they can, they can grab your web they, feed or they yeah, can find they, you on Google or yeah. track you by a, a, a tag, which is just a really thin slice of knowledge, right? Um, we so went in to sign a lease recently on a new uh, house, and 
Yeah, the property manager had Googled us and had been reading our <laughs> blogs. And, you know, like, Are you serious? Yeah, we could potentially end up listening to this podcast because of that. Wow. You know. Well, I definitely linked to Hop Studios. What's the name of this property manager firm? Should I link to it? <laughs> it's a Sunstar Realty. Sunstar. Do they have a website? They do have a website. It's pretty good. They treat you well? Yeah. Good. So I, 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 think, I think that it is maybe it used to be the 5,000 influential people. Now it's the 50,000. Maybe it will eventually be the 100,000. And you can... And the cool thing is that if you do something cool and one of these 50,000, soon to be 100,000 or whatever, finds out about it, they can spread it, <coughs> right? So if, if you, if you uh, produce a great video or great audio or a great piece of work, like a blog post and text, then people can find about it. And they can, they can promote it to their, to their folks. And then other people who are listening to those people find out about it and find it like, um, my example, uh, we were discussing before we started recording about Flock and the anti-hype for Flock. Uh, there's been a parody site since they released, and people have been saying it sucks, blah, blah, blah. I don't think it sucks. I think the potential's there. Um, if they can innovate in Flickr time, then which I, which I define as very quickly <laughs> changing and introducing new features, then they're going to be great. It's going to be fine. Um, is, what was my example? Oh, well, f you know, uh, I blogged about it. Uh, very popular blogger Jason Cocky uh, linked to it. I got linked by Wired, and I had lots of things. And now I get hits from people in Germ in German, and I can sort of understand that. And in French, I can sort of understand that. But then I get links from people in Chinese and Japanese, and I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> right? But it really is a worldwide thing. And the, the only barrier to entry is having some sort of internet access, which at least in Japan, Western Europe, and Canada, United States, is not that expensive. And mm. some kind of language. Yeah, some <laughs> kind of language that. literacy skills. Yeah. So, um, and something yeah. to say. Yeah. Well, everyone no, has something to say. I think that's even necessary. <laughs> well, some bloggers, yeah. Definitely well, I mean, that. just <laughs> collecting cool stuff is enough, right? I mean, obviously, at some point, you want to you wanna analyze and you want to add some commentary, mm -hmm. even if you're not doing original pieces. But, yeah. So, have you, any of you guys tried Flock? Well, maybe you've tried Flock. What do you think? Yeah, I have. Um, I really liked Flock. I liked the Flock's demo. Flock's a social web browser that yeah. integrates uh, delicious social bookmarking and blogging into a browser. Hmm. I wish I, um, I could have taped the demo that Andy Smith gave for me right before they went on stage at Web 2.0 mm -hmm. um, and played that instead of what, what happened for them because they kind of right. got yeah. like it froze up or something. But anyway, um, <coughs> it's not the smoothest on OS X on Mac, but um, you know it's an extra challenge to do it that way. and. They have to uh, work around a lot of stuff that that's built into Firefox, I think. So, I mean, for an alpha product, uh, I think it's really good. I, I like that they're swinging for the fence, that they're setting the expectations high. Yeah. Um, I would rather see them swing for the fence and and maybe just barely not make it than than uh, just try and uh, build a better mousetrap because um, I look at Flock as the kind of thing that could bring these uh, media conversations to. Um, many, many people that will never figure out how to download a separate tool for blogging and a right. separate tool for their image. Or how to install it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the browser is a lot of people's window to the outside world, and if you can build a better browser that actually, uh, you know, facilitates these these multimedia conversations, well, yeah. then I say that's probably the best thing to happen to the web in a long time. Well, and that's and that's what I'm thinking. Uh, we talked about Web 2.0 is finally fulfilling the original vision <coughs> of the web as read-white web, and Tim Berners-Lee, when he wrote, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that when he originally wrote the web browser, it was a read-write browser, and he wrote it on the next uh, workstation, which um, had 
and easy to use programming environment allowed him to do these things. But then when he had to move the browser to other environments that weren't next, he made it read only because it was easier. So this is going back, mm -hmm. circling back to his original vision. Mm -hmm. And the difficult, so the cool thing I think is that we, A, it's cross-platform, so mm -hmm. it works with every computer on the planet almost. Um, and B, it's most importantly, or probably more importantly, is that it gives you the read-write aspect, the conversational aspect. Yes, it's very rough in the implementation, but as I said about the flicker time thing, if they can iterate rapidly, yep. uh, which I believe they can do, they might have to hire some more people because it's a bear of a, of a source code. Uh, it's a huge amount of source code with lots of, uh, lots of uh, history in there. But if, uh, more I termies. Think, yeah, I think once they get the, the right framework in part, you know, for writing to the web, for posting delicious bookmarks, and for posting blog posts, and maybe even uh, podcasts and video blogs, to popular services, um, maybe even to now public. Well, anything that uh, you know offers the standard Web 2.0 APIs, right? We rapidly, we're rap well, not rapidly, but we're starting to see a series of common web services that that read-write or Web 2.0 applications can tap into. So we've got the Meta Weblog API, we've got the Atom API. I mean, these two things are powerful things, and if their browser does that and then works with now public and all these other ones that will or already support these APIs, mm -hmm. you've got a very powerful thing in there, right? Um, so the potential's <coughs> there. It's just very early, like they're in public alpha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and <clears throat> you often hear people kind of wistfully talk about, oh, if only we could tie together Delicious and Flickr and this and that. And, our and they're trying 50 it. 50 blog tools, yeah, and I think these guys are actually taking a crack at it, so more power to them. Yeah, and if you had seen Flickr when it was launched in February 2004, when it was like social photo chatting, yeah. where you like... Put stuff in your shoebox. Yeah, and where Michael, <laughs> Michael's logged on, I see a picture of his head, or, and I'm logged on, and I put photos in my shoebox, and I manually put them over Michael's avatar icon, or whatever you want to call it, yeah. and he sees them in real time. And compared to what they have today... Um, Night and day. Less than two years later. Yeah. Um, that's what I mean by Flickr time. You know, just keep adding the features, keep iterating, keep listening, um, but pro follow your vision, and the vision may change, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the interesting thing about this whole sort of conversational aspect is that I think, I think most success stories are accidental. I mean, yeah. you know, it's really a matter of being able to it's listen. It's not what you originally intended. So, right, so Flickr <laughs> went out the gate with this kind of shoebox uh, metaphor and uh, just the way you described it, and then kind of realized that people were doing things differently. So I think, I mean, that's another aspect of, of 2.0, and it's, it's, it's too bad that um, Alex Alex was uh, not able to join us because of her background and understanding of sort of hacking culture. But, I mean, that's a big part of it is just, is just kind of letting people run with it and say, mm -hmm. okay, you know, he, he, here's a key to the back door. What would you guys do with it if you could? Yep. Right? And I think that's a huge part of Flickr's success. And it's also, I mean, you could just say it's another one of the ways that Microsoft totally missed the boat, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. they did go so far as to integrate Internet Explorer into the Windows right. operating system. In fact, it's, it's now essentially at the heart of it. But they never took it beyond that idea of, you know, here's where you look at stuff and you can click on things and go well, to other and also things. You know, it wasn't all of the Microsoft technology is still external to that. Right, I and it wasn't it wasn't cheap and easy. Like anybody can pay five dollars a month, right. and U.S. for a server, they get Apache, so they get a web server, they get a database, MySQL, and they get PHP, Perl, or Python, or whatever they want, mm -hmm. and then they can create a web service that people can try out. And if people like it, it becomes popular. There's no equivalent path in Microsoft even today. No. IIS costs money. It's not free, as far as I know. Um, their database is not free. So how do 
Unless I'm a student, how do I put up a a cool service based on Microsoft technologies? I think that disconnect, too, comes from being farther from your customers. Um, One of the things that impresses me so much about these Web 2.0 class of companies, if you want to call them that, is is the kind of customer response you get back. You know, I'm the kind of person who, when I have an idea for how something can be better, I'll email the company and... Or leave a comment. Yeah, and I've gotten great responses from companies like FeedBurner, um, Lloyd from Flock, when I had uh, an opinion on a certain part of Flock, he came on and had a really good discussion with me on my blog. I'm just some dude, you know? Like, they, he could have spent his time working on support documentation or something else, you know, something more directly related to his job, but... Um, you know, part of his mandate must be to listen and to respond and, and try and explain why they make the decisions they make. Right. Or, you know, and l- you look at Flickr uh, or the, the robot co-op, those, those uh, groups are so good at... 43things.com, 43people.com. Yeah. They're so good at taking the top feature requests and, and, and picking out only the best stuff. I think 37signals does it really well, too, where they, they release bare-bones software that does just what it does, and it does it really well. And they give you people the things they beg for over and over and over again because, you know, it's it's about listening, but it's also about listening to the right kind to of the right message. people, not just the noisiest people. <laughs> yeah. Well, or having the vision so that yeah. you can separate um, what's critical from what's noise, or yeah. <laughs> signal from noise. Yeah. As their web and what is. actually adds value to your product now, and what yeah. what yeah. becomes a distraction because it's really easy to tip over on sure. the other side. Yeah. And that's the hard, That's the hardest part, right? That yeah. that discretion, that taste. Mm-hmm. That style. I mean, that you look at Stuart and Katarina um, from Flickr, and they've always had that. And, they, and then they they were like consultants, usability consultants, and they, you know, so they had that taste and that design. And Katarina's an artist, <laughs> so <laughs> it helps. Um, yeah. So, anything else anybody want to talk about in our initial uh, installment of uh, Roland's <coughs> Rabble? Well, thanks like for uh, involving us, oh, getting this together, Roland. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, we were talking about my crazy coop book, which yeah. is like a... Um, it's the size of a phone book. It's how many pages? 500? Uh, oh, more than 500. Five, 550. I blogged about it, but basically 565, it's, folks. It's basically um, a 550-page contact sheet of or photo book of, of the last year and a half of my photos and public photos and Flickr. And I'm... As as Will uh, kills her ears, um, I think it's great. It's like a yearbook. You know those yearbooks you had in high school, and they have pictures of. It's like your personal yearbook. And if only they could have little tabs for months. But I don't know if the cute guys are listening. I might post something about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it makes it permanent. I mean, that's that's one of the the, the fears of uh, posting stuff on Flickr and elsewhere. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, know. they just introduced the DVD backup service and a printing service at your local Target in the United States. So I think it... Flickr did. So yeah, yeah, Flickr. like yesterday. I, I think oh, it's going to cost... That. I, I, I need to do the cost. Great idea. I think it's going to cost me, I'm guessing, 200 US to back up all my photos to Flickr. If, I think they had 8,500 photo limit or something, but I wonder if that's per DVD. So hopefully my, all my photos will fit on two or three DVDs. How many photos do you have now on, on Flickr? Including my private ones, about... 18, 19,000 on two different accounts. On one account, I have almost 16,000. On the other, I have 2,000. Yeah, I had I partitioned myself into a private account for the kids' photos and a public account for mine. So, yeah. He likes snapping the pictures. I do, as Will takes a photo of uh, BitTorrent for Dummies. Okay, well, it's in... Um, we're on here uh, 39 minutes. 
Anything else anybody wants to bring up this week? Uh, can we do this next week? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Um, well, that's it. Over and out. Ciao. Cheers. Laters. Ciao.